Tanks are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the zesty Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, I want to get through this episode as fast as possible because we got to get to the next who's who. Uh, <laughs> I want to mention Shag uh, earlier this evening sent me an Excel spreadsheet which explains uh, the rate of which we're going through Who's Who episodes. That by the time we finish, it will be 2018. So we really are just going to get rid of these. This will be our last regular at Fire and Water, which is going to be nothing but Who's Who's from now on. As much fun as that would be, I don't know that I could do – it takes me almost a month to do all the research for the show, so I don't think I could. Yeah, we're projecting 2018 for Who's Who. 2018. So I don't know. We'll have to see how that works out. Anyway, folks, we have a very special episode for you this week, folks, because we have a very special guest. We have in studio none other than Stanley himself. Oh, damn it. No, that's right. Stan couldn't make it. I'm sorry. No. Uh, instead, we have, in all honesty, we have a fantastic guy who has well-credentialed. He is a staff reviewer for Comic Book Resources and has been for the last five years. He's the author of the Hawkman Companion from Tomorrow's Press. He is the creator of many well-intentioned superhero blogs that are quite good, <laughs> but only feature posts in the numbers of single digits. Specifically, by the way, he's done a number of great posts on the Doom Patrol and Red Tornado, which happens to be the subject of today's episode, by the way. And he lives very close to Metro, Det Metro Detroit, no more than 20 to 30 minutes from Vibe's home neighborhood. So, ladies and gentlemen, please get it up for Doug... Zawizza, or WYSIWYG, or how do you say it, man? Zavisha. See, you guys Seriously? Yeah. I've been saying it wrong all this time? Yep. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Give it up for Doug Z. It'd be something if you guys were the only ones that were saying it wrong the whole time. <laughs> well, Doug, thank you. Even my kids go into wherever, and they'll say their last name, and they'll spell it out. That's Z as in zebra, A-W-I-S, through the whole thing for whoever they're talking to. 
Huh. Was that like a, was that like a uh, Ellis Island thing where the guy was like he didn't buy, he didn't he didn't want to spell well, it right? He's like oh, a, a W that's no, close it, enough. It's spelled right. This is the original Polish spelling of it. And there's actually I've got some cousins uh, up here in Detroit. There's what we call Down River, which is a little bit south towards Ohio. And um, I've got some cousins up here who spell it Z A V S H A, which is exactly how it sounds. Right, so what's your problem? That's that's the Ellis Island <laughs> thing, and that was actually an enlisted thing. Um, I guess their great grandpa or grandpa either enlisted in one or two World War One or two, and so they changed the spelling there. Um, but the rest of us held on to it the right way. <laughs> I just figured somebody lost a game of Scrabble, and that's it where might, it came might about. Be so. bit of that, but there's only one Z in Scrabble, so <laughs> use, well, folks- use another Z if you want to. Doug, Doug's been a long-time listener to the show. He's written in lots. We've talked about him a lot, uh, and we've been wanting to have him on the show for a long, long time. So, Doug, we are very, very excited to have you here. Glad to be here. So, one of the things we like to... Studio spaces. Say again? The studio space. It's huge. Yeah, it's large. It, it allows Rob and I to stay on opposite sides, and we don't have to make eye contact. It's kind of part of the reason. Now, uh, one of the things I like to ask people as they, when they come on the show is, could you tell us how you got into comics? And uh, in your sort of an interesting case, how did you get into comic journalism? Uh, blah, blah. Um, comic, which one do you want first, Shaq? Comics or journalism? Let's start, well, what, what came first? I imagine you read comics before you became a journalist. Yeah, um, comics I got into, oh boy, way back when I was a kid. And Saturday mornings they used to have a little show called Super Friends on. Uh, Heard of that? Yeah. yeah, it had some characters on there: a Wonder Woman, uh, Superman, um, Batman, Robin, and some guy with blonde hair and an orange shirt that always had to hitch a ride from Wonder Woman because he couldn't figure out a better way to get anywhere. <laughs> All right, Chag, I'm going to hang up on Doug now, so we're just going to continue with the show at this point. And- <laughs> did, did, did I forget to did I forget to mention that uh, Doug and I have been pals for a long time because he's a big Firestorm fan? <laughs> And in all honesty, that uh, that guy in the orange shirt, he was my favorite. Um, I remember learning to swim when I was six or seven years old and going to the, I think it was the local YMCA. And, you know, going through swim classes with my brother and a bunch of other kids. And they tell you, you know, you need to do this, and this is how you do that stroke. And swim instructor kept yelling at me, you know, you need to get your arms in it, too. And I said, no, 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 Aquaman does it this way. <laughs> Swimming up the water, just kicking the legs. That's how it's supposed to be done. And then you, got beat, then you got beat up. <laughs> no, actually, I could swim a little faster. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as uh, getting into comics, Mom would bring comics home from uh, her shopping trips, her grocery shopping trips. And at that time, comic books were returnable if the covers were missing. You'd just take the cover off and send those back. And as things would go, of course, you would have... Um, Retailers who would send the covers back and yet still sell the comics? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And there are more than a few comics that I've read, and I have no idea what it was that I read. Uh, most notably, some <laughs> Spider-Man comic that had Ghost Rider in it and the Trapster, and I'm pretty sure it was like a Marvel team-up. I want to say 58 or 68. Hmm. That sticks out in my head. Um and eventually I got around to, to buying my own comics because, you know, mom would stop bringing them home or she wouldn't necessarily bring the right one home or whatever. And I'd get, get a weekly allowance. This was back in uh, the 80s. 
and the weekly allowance was a whopping 50 cents. And kids out there, 50 cents would get you a comic, sometimes a comic and candy, depending on who you got your comic from. Hell yeah. Yeah. So my brother and I would go down to the local convenience store, um, which was, you know, neighborhood owned at that point. You know, it wasn't a 7-Eleven or a chain of something else. And I remember seeing this comic book on the rack there that had everybody I recognized from Super Friends. There was Aquaman. There was Superman. There was Wonder Woman. There's Batman. I don't see Robin, but that's okay. He's kind of a bit of a, a wuss in my book anyway at that point when I was nine years old. There's Green Lantern <laughs> and Flash, and they weren't on Super Friends all that much, but I know them from Super Friends. And there's this guy with his head on fire. And they're being blown around by this robot, or this other dude. I didn't know at the time that he was a robot. So I picked it up, because, you know, it's got the Super Friends. Plunked down my 50 cents, went home and was hooked. That was the first comic I ever bought. It was Justice League of America, number 192. And I've actually still got the original copy. Uh, it's getting to the point where it's starting to flake a little bit when you read it anymore. Fall apart in the hands. Um, and from there, I was just hooked. Awesome. Yeah. Awfully convenient that that was your first issue because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the comics we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah, look at that. That's a dub- so, double irony. Like a Doug Zavisha origin show. <laughs> so, journalism. Yeah, uh, journalism. Oh, um, with the comics, it, it, it nurtured a interest I had in art. Um, you know, scrap paper around the house. I was always drawing superheroes or drawing animals or drawing whatever that wasn't a car or a toaster or a wall or a tree. <laughs> and, uh, superheroes came up a lot. And I got to the point in high school where I thought, oh, I could do this for a living. These people draw comics. No problem. So I went to a Chicago uh, Comic-Con back before Wizard owned them. I want to say it was 89 or 90. And found out that I really had no clue what I was talking about. I about that. Had some really embarrassing conversations with regards to the pages that I brought. Uh, but, but still had the scales kind of removed from my eyes there. And realized that, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to be able to get into this on the art side. But maybe I could get into it on the writing side. So, you know, I do what the kids nowadays refer to as fanfic. And at the time, it was on an old typewriter. You know, with actually, you would have to take the paper out of the typewriter and use white out and wait for it to dry to put it back in and fix any of your mistakes type of thing. <laughs> and uh, just kind of honed my writing skills there. And or, I don't know if they're quite skills. Um, just had a, a passion for writing. And eventually found uh, jeffjohns.com back in, gosh, I don't know. It was around the time he was writing Stars and Stripe. So what was that? 96, 97? Uh, I was going to say 97, 98, but yeah, so, somewhere in there, yeah. Well, jeffjohns.com had a, a forum attached to it that was called Comic Block. And the Comic Block forum was actually run by a few guys who are also in Metro Detroit that grew up with Jeff. Um, gosh, you know, I, I'm not going to get their names right. Josh, Josh Hammond, maybe, and Dustin Davis, I want to say. But on Comic Block, they were, it was just a, a community, you know, like your old DC message boards or your CBR message boards or any type of site that has a, a forum. And um, 
there were guys that would go out there and they'd do quick little synopses of books, and that would, of course, open up arguments. Well, no, you're wrong. The coloring's bad because of this, or the art was bad, or the writing was good, or whatever the case may be. Wait, fanboy, fanboys used to argue on the internet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why the internet exists. I Just thought it was porn, but okay. <laughs> well, it all depends who you ask, you know, or pictures of cats. <laughs> Dustin had the, the notion of doing reviews, and he wanted the site to be, and I get these mixed up because I don't live in New York, either the New York Post or the New Yorker version of a comic book news site. It didn't have to be the top ranking news, just had to be good stories that were well thought out with good information, yada, yada, yada. So he started having us do some reviews, and we would review the art and the writing separately. And then uh, that spun off into, well, if we're doing reviews and we're getting advanced copies on occasion, well, couldn't we start talking to creators? And after writing a review or two for Comic Block, I had my first assignment as an interview, which was to interview George Perez. Uh, he was nice. Going, yeah. Nothing like cutting your teeth on one of the industry's greatest legends right there. And uh, he was coming to a Motor City Comic Con, which at the time, the Motor City Comic Cons were, oh, they are no New York or San Diego or Chicago or Baltimore or uh, Heroes Con or Dragon Con or, you know, keep going with the list of cons. Detroit was pretty well towards the bottom. <laughs> I think it was kind of uh, George was doing a favor for somebody. They should call it. They should call it VibeCon. Uh, maybe they will. Maybe they will. They got the credit unions here, so you know. That's right. At our time. So um, I, I asked George, you know, would you be willing to do an interview? I forget how I got in touch with him through uh, some some site, some George Perez fan site, and George said, "Yeah, sure. You know, when I'm at the con, just come on by and we'll do a quick interview." So I went by to do a quick interview, and he had a line. 20 people deep for signing and sketches and everything else. It says, come around behind the table and I'll interview. We can talk between me talking to people. And I wound up spending an entire day with George Perez just to get that interview done. It was a series of 10 or 15 questions, but it was absolutely the greatest fanboy day ever, especially since he was the artist on that first Justice League that I ever bought. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't have him sign the beat-up copy. I went out onto the show floor and actually found a great copy to have him sign. <laughs> but since then, I think the comic block forums or uh, news sites or whatever, you know, however we had the information divided up got hacked. And all the great content there was somewhat lost. Um, hmm. All the old reviews, all our old interviews. And I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the foresight enough to actually save those. So they that's are a, really gone. But in working out on Comic Block, um, Jonah Weiland of CBR noticed the stuff I was doing there and offered me a spot to start reviewing for CBR. And the rest, as they say, is history. So That's fantastic, man. That's and I think awesome. we up 20 minutes of airspace, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, man. We, like I said, we wanted to have you on the show. And we want to hear your story. That's a good deal, right. man. Thanks, guys. But anyway, uh, as we said, uh, Brad, Brad, I just called you Brad. It's because of what I'm about to talk about. Sorry. Doug is an expert, if you will, uh, if there could be such a thing, on the character of Red Tornado. 
And uh, it's one of the reasons we want to have them on the show. And before we get going on this, we do need to take a moment to give credit to our sponsors. So, uh, folks, if you would, please take a moment and go on out to InStockTrades.com. They are your best source for online trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. And there's one book I wanted to mention, which I called you Brad. I was thinking of Brad Meltzer. A uh, book by Brad Meltzer. It's Justice League of America, Volume 1. Tornado's Path. It's a hardcover, and uh, you get art by Ed Benes and Sandra Hope. It covers the first six issues of the Justice League of America series that came just after uh, Infinite Crisis. And this is a this is a pretty cool time for the Justice League. This is when they've just added Hawkgirl, and they're they're sort of putting the Justice League back together after a number of years of uh, sort of struggling and different things like that. So, and it was a great run. Red Tornado plays it pivotal role in the series and without spoiling much i will say solomon grundy is in the book and he does not say solomon grundy smash at any point so great book you can pick that up it normally retails for an amount that i didn't write down nice job however <laughs> i can't believe i did that <laughs> it is 45 percent off though right now rob <laughs> why don't you tell us it's your pick and i'll see if i can figure this out you do the math yourselves people come on what do i have to hold your hand uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about a very fun uh, trade paperback just, of Justice League of America. It's called Justice League of America Hereby Elects. And this is a theme trade where it reprints a bunch of the issues where new members joined. So you've got it covers Justice League of America's numbers 475, 105 to 106, 146, 161, plus 173, and 174, which is the uh, one, two-parter featuring a member who doesn't join, Black Canary, but it, uh, I mean uh, Black Lightning. But it features uh, uh, me- new members, Black Canary, Red Tornado, Hawk Girls, Zatanna, um, joining the JLA for the first time, which is fantastic. It's got an awesome cover by Jerry Ordway, who, is sort of, who was sort of homaging Gil Kane, who was homaging Neil Adams. So wrap your heads around that. Uh, it's a, a <laughs> great, fun collection. Normally retails for fourteen ninety nine. In stock trade has it for eight dollars and twenty four cents. Forty five percent off. A, that is a fun book. I have. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have hovered over that book in like a, a bookstore yeah. and just like, uh, even though I have like the issues already, but I still want to get it. Okay, real quick, going back to the Justice League of America Volume One Tornado's Path hardcover. Normally retails for twenty four ninety nine. The sucker's two hundred and twenty four pages. It's got a cover by Michael Turner. You can pick it up for forty five percent off at thirteen dollars and seventy four cents. Nice. Okay. So a little more than twenty bucks. Two great books right there, huh? Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, with that said, we are covering Justice League of America number one ninety two and one ninety three. These are awesome. And uh, we're going to let Rob give us the summaries of those. Is that what we're doing here? That's what we're doing. Uh, Rock and roll. Anyway, uh, as uh, Doug mentioned earlier, it's got the cover for number 192. It's covered dated July uh, 1981. Uh, it features a cover by George Perez, and you see Red Tornado attacking his fellow Justice League members. What in the holy hell is going on here? Uh, it has an <laughs> Very nice opening of somebody boarding the JLA satellite for the transporter tube. We can't exactly see who it is, although we can sort of figure it out by we see like their boot and a glove. Uh, this, but they're light blue. But they're light blue. Yeah, right. They're 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 colored and you know like uh, in shadowy form. So you're not exactly sure. You see a silhouette, you can kind of guess. You know, and I was with with that boot. I was pretty sure it was Captain America. <laughs> 
Finally. You're such a sad child. Uh, this, anyway, whoever is walking into the satellite is stumbling upon the JLA having a meeting. And we see it's basically the six founding members plus Firestorm, which is like a fun little group. Um, it's a great opening because we get to see the JLA kind of talking boring paperwork stuff, which is great. <laughs> I love this. I could have seen a whole book of this. But anyway, oh my God. I really could have. But anyway, um, they notice that someone has arrived and it's Red Tornado. And they say, is there anything wrong with Tornado? You look odd. And he says, no, he's here to kill you. He says, no, Superman, I'm here to kill you. And he uses his powers to attack all of the Justice League. And a great splash page by George Perez and John Beatty. Fantastic, you know, just, I remember being a kid seeing that for the first time. I was like, what is going on? Um, So Red Tornado attacks the Justice League, and he's doing it with a level of ferocity not seen. So it knocks a lot of these people off their uh, feet. Batman's shoulder gets dislocated, which is fantastic. Like, Batman actually got injured. That's really cool. Knock him down a peg or two. Superman finally kind of gets tired of this nonsense, blows Red Tornado off his feet with a super breath. Flash then disassembles him by ripping off his head, arms, and legs, <laughs> which is great. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work because the head that is still apparently alive and is talking to Flash explodes, causing Flash to be severely injured. They take everybody down to the the, the uh, lab, the uh, medical lab, and while that's happening. Green Lantern, Firestorm, and Aquaman stay up top and examine some of the evidence. They give Firestorm a little history lesson about the Red Tornado, and we have a recap of JLA number 64 and 65 where he was introduced. They take the elevator down, only to be blasted again by another Red Tornado. So, what is going on? That Red Tornado reappears in the med lab. He attacks Wonder Woman. He nearly asphyxiates her with his powers. This gets Superman really, really pissed, and he looks like he's about to really put the beat down on Red Tornado, except Red Tornado opens his chest plate and there's a piece of kryptonite waiting for him. So, uh, <laughs> having taken out Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all by himself, um, it takes the Flash, who was waking up from his injuries, to grab Red Tornado, sh- shove him in the airlock, they shoot him into outer space where he blows up again. What is going on here? And we cut down to... The mountains of Colorado, and we see someone is watching this from some sort of high-powered telescope thing. And, of course, as you might guess, it's T.O. Morrow, the creator of the Red Tornado. He then uses his scepter to go to New York City, where he finds where we learn that none of those Red Tornadoes that we've seen are the real one. We find the real one is having dinner with his family, Kathy Sutton and the little orphan girl, Treya. All of a sudden... Red Tornado starts feeling very strange. Something's entering his mind. He goes out of control, bla- uses Tornado powers inside their apartment, smashes his way out of the window, takes off, and he is followed right behind by the Justice League who are trailing him. We then cut across town where Tio Morrow is having some sort of nice little candlelit dinner with the Red Tornado where he, ex- <laughs> where he explains to Red Tornado that he, for once and for all, is going to figure out why Red Tornado is what he is. Because he's supposed to be under Tio Maro's control, but he never has been. So at the end of the book, Tio Maro says, basically, I'm going to figure out what makes you so special, and if I can't figure it out, I'm going to dismantle you. We see that waiting for, uh, not waiting, but uh, lurking outside is one of the Justice League who has found Tio Maro, and that hero is Aquaman. And it says, to be concluded, next issue. Um... 
Doug, why don't you go first, since this was your very first comic book. Why don't you say, like, how, how awesome you think this book is? Well, for, first things first, today, that'd be about six issues. Yep. <laughs> Easy. Every, Easily. Every six issues. And, uh, the crisis on Red Tornado. Basically, yeah. Um, well, I, I, as I said, I came into this issue by recognizing almost everybody on the cover, and then, uh, then seeing these other two characters, Firestorm and Red Tornado, as I would learn while reading this book. Um, <laughs> Firestorm hooked me right here. Uh, he became kind of the, the entry point because he's the one with all the questions, some of the questions that I had as, as a kid who had no clue who Red Tornado was. But what, what I liked when I opened it was, like you said, you had the boring meeting. And at the time, I had a little playset, a Justice, Hall of Justice playset. With a little red chairs and a table, right, right. The me, the Mego playset. No, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was Mego. It was smaller. It was like Star Wars size. Right. Well, they did a line of that was size. Yeah. Okay. Okay. With the the uh, action figures had like bent knees. Yep. Yep. That's the Mego Pocket Heroes line. I had those okay. too. Yeah. So I had those, and to see them sitting around a table, well, it gave me a hey, I got a table that they can sit around and have that type of meeting. <laughs> I can recreate the boring meeting, too. Exactly. So, so for hours and hours, Doug planned out further the further adventures of bureaucracy. <laughs> there you go. And then, uh, you know, getting into the story, here's this guy who can single-handedly take out the Super Friends when, you know, we've seen all these characters, the Legion of Doom and whatever other notions were made up for Super Friends before the Legion of Doom, like uh, whatever that... Wizard of Oz one was, or (laughs) any of those other really harebrained ideas for the cartoon, which were great as an eight-year-old kid or seven-year-old kid, but... Or 40. Or 40. (laughs) Good point, Jack. But here, I mean, just seeing Red Tornado tear through the Justice League, and then to be hit with this mystery of, well, if that this character who just tore through the Justice League is sitting at a table with a kid... And a girlfriend, wife, whatever this other lady might be, you know, it was just enough to really hook me kind of all the way around. Great characters, great art, great story. The little uh, panel of Treya shrugging as Red Tornado plugs himself in, you know, because even androids need nourishment. It, it just all grabbed me right there, and it gave me enough to understand what I was reading as I was going along with all the recaps, the nice rounded corner panels that I don't, I don't know that they really do that anymore for a recap. Do they round the panels? I don't think so. I don't think they, they bother they, recapping anything they, anymore. Well, yeah. Dan, Dan, Dan Jurgens did in the later Firestorm run. He did the rounded corners when they were doing some flashbacks, but I think that was more of an intentional throwback probably than rather than modern storytelling yeah a, a lot of what jay jurgens did on that run was intentionally throwback i think or that yeah. that's how it, it it read at least yeah and then uh you know it, it just continues to give the the background on moro and the connection to red tornado and just leaves you there and oh there's aquaman and i remember going back to the convenience store every week looking for that next issue <laughs> Pens in hand, and never really. It it took what seemed like a lifetime, but really was probably a month or six weeks or however long between convenience store deliveries of comics. 
Back in the good old days when you never knew when the hell this stuff was coming. Exactly. And you never knew what was going to be in it either. Nope. Yeah, I, I miss that. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, t- t- for a first comic book that was not really an investment, but there goes my hard-earned money, but holy crap, is that art amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I could just pour over day after day after day. Yeah, I, I, in a lot of ways, I think John Beatty is my, like, maybe my favorite George Perez inker. Uh, I, I think he, he sort of like smoothed out some of Perez's little details here and there that to me sometimes gummed up the works just a little bit and really gave it a beautiful appearance. They, they didn't have a long run on Justice League together, but boy, did I love this look. I really did. I don't know what ever happened to John Beatty. Like he didn't really seem to have a long career in comics, but boy, I, I, I to me, this is like the, the, the golden age of the Justice League, these issues, like around the 180s to 190s and 200s and this this is so beautiful to look at. I would definitely agree. And I got this, you know, I got 192 and 193 off the rack, and I'm using air quotes here, new. But then I found uh, this this shop in Toledo where I grew up that had fairly new comics, and I don't know how they came across them or what process happened, but they would have 50-cent comics, and they'd be trying to sell them for 25 cents just to make whatever money back, and I wound up being able to pick up a pretty long, large run of the satellite era around this time as well. A couple issues before, some issues after, kind of filling in gaps here and there. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, one of the things that I... that I, uh, Yeah, I bought this off the newsstand as well. I mean, this is when I was buying all the Justice League stuff off the newsstand. And it really is a, a great book for, like, a first a first comic book to, for, for a kid to buy. Because, like you said, it's Firestorm is sort of the stand-in for the new fan. You know, he's like, yeah. well, because, of course, I love that Conway, even though Firestorm was Conway's creation, he always wrote Firestorm as a bit of a dunce, where <laughs> Firestorm, like, never did any reading, never did any homework. He didn't know who any of these people were. <laughs> in JLA number 200, he doesn't even know who Martian Manhunter is. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you not know this? And, you know, but it's a perfect foil to have him be the one who goes, well, what's going on? Who's Tio Mara? What's this guy? What's that guy? You know, it's like it's really perfectly, perfectly constructed story. Yep, and he brings that uh, the, he brings the the replica for the reader, and he also brings that that uh, hope almost. I, I'm, I'm missing a word here, but hope's what I'm going to use. That's just completely missing in comics today. What do you mean by hope? Kind of the wide-eyed innocence. Okay, from who? What do you mean, though? Like from Firestorm, you mean? Firestorm, yeah. Firestorm okay, okay. Is that the league where, you know, even if you have, well, like Justice League, whatever came out yesterday, 22, or recent, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't know if I'm pulling the curtain too far back by saying yesterday, but... Uh, no, it's, it's fine. I mean, no, we're, gonna, I, we're probably not going to put this up till like, 2015, but that's fine. All right. Firestorm's in there, but it's not the same. You know, in there, he's more just kind of a placeholder than here in 192 and 193, where he is the uh, the stand-in for the reader. Yeah, yeah. It's a, This is a really beautifully constructed, uh, I just already said that, but I mean, this story in terms of, you've got, I love the intro. Again, I was joking about, you know, them having their little paperwork thing, but I actually really love this scene of them talking about their bylaws and how many members that the UN is allowing them to have. It's like, they're like real people. 
You know, like yeah. these are these are real guys running an office. You know, <laughs> they just happen to be these super powered people. But they're they're you know they're going through all these little rules, and then you've got this great action sequence where Red Tornado kicks everybody's ass, which is really fun. And then <laughs> and then the scene of of Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Firestorm in the elevator together. Like instead of they're not flying, they're not right. buzzing. They're using the elevator like regular people, and it, it really does read like these are a bunch of coworkers that yep. are trying to deal with this strange thing. And I think that's such a nice. Um, just, you know, a nice change of pace. And then, like I said, you've got the scene with Red Tornado and his family, which is really very sweet, where his daughter won't eat. And she's like, you know, you don't eat, so I'm not going to eat. And then, the, you know, as you point out, he's like, well, I eat. And he plugs himself into the wall socket, uh, which is really cute. It's, it's like a wordless sequence at the end, which is really sweet. Yeah. Um, then the JLA follows up and, and uh, to following Red Tornado. And then, of course, as a kid, I was thrilled that it ended with Aquaman being the guy creeping into the into the scene because he never got the chance to do all that stuff so I was like this is just like written just for me you know I like I love everything about this um, I didn't read I hadn't read a lot of those old JLAs by the time I got to this so you know a lot of this backstory I sort of knew it because I had been reading the comic for a couple of years but I hadn't read like JLA number 64 by that point so it worked for me too to learn about all this old stuff and, and like I said it's really Conway was really on a roll here uh, even though he'd been on the book for like four years already um, he he said I thought he was just um, really really doing a good job with these stories they are really tightly tightly done and uh, you know I said brilliantly put all, put across by Perez and Beatty so this is the part where you start to throw things at me. Oh, because I'm I'm not in love with this issue as much as you guys are. In fact, I think I've put Rob into a choking fit. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he's just stu- so stunned that someone could not love this beloved issue of Justice League. Um, I do like a big right. for us to get over there and help him out with the Heimlich. All right, there, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know how to drink water correctly, uh, ironically enough. <laughs> uh, that's classic. All right, so, um, okay, no denying. The Perez I think you artwork. Found show's stinger. Right. <laughs> the Perez artwork in this thing is beautiful from start to finish. No denying that. His panel layout. The, the, the small little flourishes, character details. Like you said, Rob, he does an entire page of them in an elevator and makes it interesting. Yep. So, yeah. So, I mean, artwork's great. The basic core story of Red Tornado, you know, having the, the doppelgangers and Tio Morrow trying to investigate, the core story is fine as well. My issues come into some little tiny nitpicky things and also all the continuity. Like, I hear writers say a lot that history is fine, but continuity is a burden. This thing is is chock full of burdensome continuity. I mean, the entire page where they're explaining Red Tornado, in that elevator scene, where they're just giving info dumps on Red Tornado, it could have been so much shorter. It, it, you don't need all the backstory. It almost it felt like kind of a... You ever read any when Kurt Busiek stories where he just he wants to explain away why Kang did something in a story in 1964 that doesn't make sense with something that was done in the 80s? and he, So in the year 2000, he writes a 12-issue epics to explain that one thing. It felt a little bit like that, uh, especially the f- four pages 
of backstory from Tio Morrow at the end that I just couldn't care less about. Hmm. I, because any villain to me, like they got when they show up and they're supposed to be dead, and they go, "Ha I got away." That's all I need. I don't need four pages of split doppelganger this and that, and just tell me I got away. That's all I need. Or the X Men version of "I got better." You know, that's that's fine. So that I felt like the continuity really weighed it down. Now the bureaucracy stuff, I know you find it cute and quaint. <clears throat> I found it annoying. I mean, I'm reading this going like, is this conversation really happening? And why isn't, why isn't Firestorm groaning about this and being like, you've got to be kidding me? Well, he is, though. I mean, visually, in panel two of that first page, you see Firestorm looking bored. He's got That's his head true. in his hands looking like, oh, God. That's how I felt reading that page. So, but I mean, the only thing that made it work was the slowly, the vision, you know, the, the looking through Red Tornado Doppelganger number one's eyes moving closer is what made that page work. But, uh, so. but if you look at the, the four panels and look at Batman, he notices in panel two and he's like trying to get Superman's attention without busting up the meeting in panel three. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got his little finger going, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's great. He's yeah, looking he, for an excuse to get out of that meeting. Batman's going, hey, you with the super hearing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I do want to point out, like, one of my favorite panels in this whole thing is on page four. When Red Tornado is blowing, you know, the entire Justice League around, and Wonder Woman has pulled the ultimate lame decision of, Batman's hurt, I'm going to stay with him instead of going to stop the bad guy, which may, whatever. But anyway, the third, the, the, about a third of the way down the page, or two-thirds of the way down, Superman is just walking into Red Tornado's gale force yeah, wind. Great. And he's even, like, looking backwards and be like, Lantern. You all right? You know, he, Superman has got this. Yep. You know, it's basically what he's saying. Now, I am surprised that Superman's super breath is more powerful than Red Tornado's wind. I don't know that I would agree with that. But, you know, so be it. I do love the walking, though, was just totally slick. Um, apparently, Wonder Woman's uh, tiara is very loose because it comes off very easily, as we see throughout this series. And, uh, is that a metaphor right. for something? Yikes. No, I was behaving for once. Okay. Anyway. I love the use uh, Perez does with shadows. Like, there's a great shot of Superman all in silhouette, and all you see is his S. There's a great shot of Firestorm from the back, where his costume's dark except for the white lines across his back. I mean, there's some really nice stuff in there. The scenes with Red Tornado and T uh, and Treya, you guys have already said it, were very heartwarming. Um, and by the way, apparently, um, there's a dangerous thing in Red Tornado's apartment. Their uh, electrical outlets don't have grounding plugs. I, I'm just thinking that's dangerous. It, it was the '80s. I guess they hadn't been upgraded with the new stuff. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, they're, not, they're not the code. <laughs> Trey is about the cutest thing ever. And I can't believe no time has been spent talking about Tio Morrow's amazing hideout, where he goes up to a, a stuffed moose and pulls the antler down, and it t- descends into a wicked, wicked elevator. He does have a sweet hangout. He really does. I mean, that's like the coolest thing ever. It's ridiculous, but from an 80s supervillain point of view, it's awesome. Um, he was on that show Cribs, I believe. It was. <laughs> Supervillain Cribs, it was. I was bothered that that one Red Tornado had a chest full of uh, kryptonite. I mean, it's it's sort of that late 70s, early 80s, you can get kryptonite at every 7-Eleven sort of thing, I guess. I don't know. That bothered me. So, And, and last thing I guess I could say is I think this is the first and only time Aquaman has ever been used as a dramatic cliffhanger. That's true. That is true. <laughs> But he's, but it's, it's it, honestly, it's ridiculous. I mean, he's climbing up out of the water 
And it's like, you know, da 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 da, and you're that's supposed to be like a big deal, really? Aquaman? No, I don't. No, I don't think that it's supposed to be that. It's Aquaman. I think it's that. Hey, one of the JLA has found Tio Morrow, and he's doing a sneak attack. I mean, okay. yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to be. I guess so. I uh, get so that. Cr- get that. You get that laughing out of your voice. Stop it. I can hear it. Oh, I forgot. Oh, there is one thing. Um, I'm glad because Doug brought up JLA 22 or Justice League 22. There's a moment here, and Doug, you should see some parallels here, where Wonder Woman gets hurt by Red Tornado. And it pisses Superman yes, off. Yes, yeah. Big time. And yep. he actually says, she's unconscious but alive. No thanks to that android. Ooh. Forget that he's been his friend and teammate for years. He's now that android. The truth comes out. I'm going to finish him once and for all. He's about to pull a Dr. Light on him. You know? Uh, uh, you had to do it, didn't you? I did. I did. I, he's about to pull a Dr. Light on him. Right, so, um, anyway... <laughs> Yeah, it just goes to show you uh, pre-crisis philosophies and versus as compared to new post New Fifty Two philosophies. So, one thing that we all kind of missed on page ten when uh, Flash is floating in the back of the tank there. <laughs> <laughs> it' uh, pretty awesome. I wonder him to relocate Batman's shoulder. I hope it hurt him. There's no, you know, Batman at no point like groans or anything like that. That's well, he's unconscious. But, but he's strapped down. Oh, is he unconscious? Yeah, he's unconscious. That's why he never oh. gets up when all the when tornado attacks. He's out. Oh. Thought maybe she was having his way with him. I'm glad you said back to tank, because that's actually in my notes. <laughs> now, I will point out there is one bad Perez panel, which is bizarre, because that almost never happens. But on page six, in the in the bottom right-hand panel, it's it's clearly Wonder Woman in drag, or some dude in drag is Wonder Woman. Aw. I... It... <laughs> Look at the panel. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm, I, you're wrong. <laughs> you just like saying that was words. easy. Anyway, so I, uh, I'm not down on the issue. Like, it's not like horrible, but th- I really, you know, if you could have, if, if we, if we could have dunked the uh, continuity way weight, I would have been a lot happier with the story. You know, I swear. Again, I like the history of it. You give me one panel, you know, two panels of saying, "Yeah, Red Trinity was an android created by Tio Maro," and that's all I need. I don't need. A whole page of discussion, and I sure don't need four pages of that ridiculous crap with Tio Morrow. I just don't care. All right, all right. We're trying to end this segment on an up note. Um, Firestorm so- looks awesome. Green Lantern looks awesome. Aquaman looks awesome. Everyone looks awesome. It's, it's a gorgeous looking fast. book. You get a lot of scenes. You get a lot of action. So it's you're, as you guys said, it's a well constructed adventure. Uh, it just you know I had a couple of issues. So all, right, all right, Doug. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we finish up on this issue? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's a we've all kind of touched on it, except for Shag's little groaning about the the recap. There, it's it's kind of a perfect first issue. Yep, absolutely. I agree. I, it's yes, I totally agree. Shag is wrong. Um, <laughs> you know what, folks? If you have this at home, go to page nineteen and just look at Red Tornado have his meltdown. There's some amazing panels on that on that page. It's beautifully drawn. As it's beautifully drawn. Perez said at the time, like Justice League was his dream gig. And I think I think he he was not happy the way he got it, but he did consider just like his dream gig, and I think it shows. You know, I think he think he just poured everything he had into it, and he was has he, a he has a lot. Was he doing two books at this time? Uh, yeah, he was doing this and Titans. Yes, he was. Oh, busy guy. Um, but before we wrap up on this issue, I got to mention this because we would be remiss because one of one of our fans is listening to the show, waiting to hear me get to this <gasps> point. <gasps> Oh, my God. On the letters page, there is a letter, 
from young Russell Burbage. <laughs> oh my god, little Russell Burbage. From U City uh, MO, which is what, Missouri, Montana? I don't know, one of those flyover it's, states. And for the record, that really is the city he's from. We didn't make it up this time. Yeah, that, no, that's really it, yeah. So we're gonna read his we're gonna read his letter and see how much he manages to complain about whatever issue he's talking about. Uh, I had read that Don Heck would be joining a couple of Justice League issues, and quite frankly, I dreaded them. See, right there, he's right off to the negative. His Flash is good, but I never cared for his Aquaman or anyone else who doesn't wear a mask. Surprise, I was wrong. Don and Frank McLaughlin did a wonderful job, and the only characters I didn't like the looks of were Green Lantern and John Johns, who hardly appeared. I cannot fully say how beautiful this issue was. Great work. Jerry, your story was perfect, too. The part with Zatanna and Flash were superb. And as for the romance, why not? Go with it. I can't begin to list all the things I loved about the story. The rest of the cast members were all in character, too. Zatanna's new costume and her reasons for changing were both great. In fact, the only thing I disliked was the way Proteus was able to sneak up on Zatanna in her own house. Come on, she's a pro. That is fan-damn-tastic. That, uh, this is like a little time machine. This is oh a guy, guy that I'm going to know years later is appearing in these old Justice League comics. Well, you know what the real irony is? You know, we always call him Lil Russell Burbage. When he writes into our show, well, he really was Lil Russell Burbage. He was. He was a little kid. The, uh, the, the person who was answering the Jedi letters, Ted P. Skimmer, refers to Russell as Russ. Because uh, his answer is, even pros make mistakes, Russ. Nobody's perfect. Not even Superman, who's been in this business all longer than Zatanna. So I think we should call him Russ from now on. I think that's an appropriate tribute. So, uh, so that, that is going to wrap up our look at number 192. Uh, this is, of course, part one of the two-part story, and we have a doozy of a finale. We're going to take a little break. We're going to hear some clips of Red Tornado in uh, other forms, not just in comics, and uh, we'll be right back.
Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Ah. And we're back. And uh, I got to say, Rob, uh, those clips were outrageous. <laughs> He's not in those clips, but that's okay. Well, I mean, you know, it, 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 it's called a segue. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed those clips from Brave and the Bold. Fantastic stuff, as always. And uh, we are back for Justice League of America, number 193, cover date August of 1981. 81, yeah. There we go. Yeah, uh, I said this is part two of the origin of the Red Tornado story. And the cover, again, by George Perez. And we see the we see Superman, Green Lantern, Firestorm, Wonder Woman and Flash fighting some sort of giant tornado creature. What the hell is going on? Uh, the opening splash page is one of my favorite all-time splash pages, not because there's actually water on it. Uh, it's Aquaman crawling out of the water, sneaking onto Tio Morrow's house. This is fa- I love this thing. Aquaman looks actually kind of creepy and moody, and it's fantastic. I mean, well drawn by George Perez, but then really wonderfully colored by uh, Carl Gaffer. Nice job, you know, really set a nice moody tone to it. Aquaman is listening outside the window, listening to to, to Omaro go on and on and on, as he tends to do. (laughs) Uh, There's a great sequence where Aquaman smashes through the window in a series of successive panels, uh, looking at little storyboards. Unfortunately, this is the moment where Aquaman gets zapped out of the book, because Tomorrow hits him with that weird scepter and blasts Aquaman, and that's pretty much it for Aquaman in this book. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I, I'm just going to interrupt real quick. It is an amazing series of panels. Yes. Yeah, the four panels across where Aquaman dives in. Yeah. But it's just sad. He is literally taken out like a chump. Yeah. Because, you know, he he sneaks aboard. He does the awesome jump. It's amazing art. And then Tio Morrow literally just steps out of the way and blasts him. And yeah. it's over. Yeah. He, so. Great build up and kind of bad follow through. But okay. Uh, That's because he was interrupting Morrow's monologuing. He is, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, so anyway, Morrow and Red Tornado disappear back to their mountain base. Uh, we cut across back over to the city where the Justice League is still hanging out with Kathy Sutton and Treya, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, there's a nice little moment where uh, Superman and Flash all return back and having in- investigated the nearby areas, they can't find anything. Flash is doing a Rubik's Cube, for those of you who remember that thing, and he decides to go check some prison records, and there's just a wonderful flash moment where he tosses the Rubik's Cube in the air, runs out of the frame, runs back into the frame, and says he went and checked the jail cell. And he managed to do all that before the Rubik's Cube fell, which is just a great, great moment. Um, then this moment of levity is broken up by Green Lantern, having found Aquaman encased in ice. So, not good. Um, in uh, Tio Morrow's base... It's, uh, it's not ice, is it? I thought it was more like an amber crystal or something well okay it could it looks like ice to me because the way they colored it but because it could be um thanks jay threw me off my rhythm thanks a lot well it becomes a big deal pretty soon oh jeez. all right all right you know okay um so anyway uh back at the base tomorrow is examining red tornado when all of a sudden something starts going really curfewy there's this blinding light, and it goes, it gets so out of control that it knocks Tiomaro out and uh, into darkness. We cut back up to the Justice League satellite, where Wonder Woman is slicing open this amber that Aquaman is encased in. and It's a, it's a crystalline sheath, as she says later on. A crystalline sheath. There you go. So, um, Shad, you were right. You should just get used to saying that. 
<laughs> I will never get used to saying that. Um, there leads to another really great character moment when Firestorm runs his mouth off and says oh. he, he's pretty much sure that Aquaman is dead. And the Flash does not take too kindly to that. He takes Firestorm aside and basically says, knock it off, you dumb jerk. You can't talk like that if you're going to be a member of the Justice League. Uh, and then, just to make matters worse, Martin Stein pops up just enough to berate Ronnie as well, which is a uh, you know a nice little nice little moment there. I like to call it the biggest crock of shit, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Um, so Wonder Woman gets the uh, the, the crystalline sheath open with this little laser tool that she's got. She pulls uses her lasso to pull the uh, sprinkler system on, which gives Aquaman the much needed rejuvenation. He breaks out of the sheath. Um, he is conscious long enough to mention that it in fact was Tio Maro that did this to him. Then there's a great panel where the Justice League finds Tio Maro in the wreckage, and Superman says, we're going to give you one chance to explain what happened here and what you've done with the Red Tornado. Then we're going to take you apart, which is really cool. Uh, at that point, the uh, free preview for All-Star Squadron comes in the middle of the book. which was What free preview? <laughs> Where's yours, Doug? I, I tore it out. Kind of got in the way. <laughs> Doug, Doug, Doug. In the, got in the way. Got in the way. I like I, I'm pretty sure I made it all the way back to the house before I tore it out. But, uh, yeah, it came out. Mm, you're tough. I, I, I know I read it, but I don't remember if it was part of this book when I read it. Wow. You know why you probably tore it out? It was in so the way. You could, you could put it up on a shelf and bask in its glory. That's probably why you tore it out. Mm, I'm going to go with it was in the way. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, tomorrow zaps Superman with his scepter when all of a sudden they are both attacked by a giant tornado creature, a mammoth-like 30-foot-high tornado creature who's just blasting everybody, both tomorrow and the Justice League. He's so powerful that he manages to take out pretty much all of the Justice League. The only one left behind is Firestorm, who he pretty much just ignores. Firestorm's about to attack this this creature by himself when he is stopped by a mini tornado <laughs> which uh, and then reveal in this massive uh, flashback which I really enjoyed going all the way back to mystery in space number 75 or number 61 and then 75 is that we learn that this creature this little tornado sentient tornado creature um, after having fought the Justice League back in the 60s wandered through space was over in the interdimensional portal and was over by Earth 2, managed to find Teomaro just as he was creating a creature called the Red Tornado. And he said the temptation was too strong to resist. He infused himself into Red Tornado's body, which means this whole time Red Tornado has, in fact, had a soul, which was the one thing that Red Tornado was questioning his entire existence. But he does. He does have a soul. He does have a living creature inside of him, which happens to be this little mini tornado. Um... He helps, uh, this little mini tornado helps Firestorm uh, figure out a way to defeat the tornado champion, which involves some of Firestorm's nuclear powers. He shoots a bunch of stuff inside the tornado champion. He fuses it with the mini tornado, leaving Red Tornado's body laying on a mountaintop. Red Tornado has no memory of anything that happened. Firestorm in that moment decides not to tell Red Tornado what happened. He figures, let's give his friend a chance to have a normal life. And together they take off, presumably to go pick up their JLA pals. And that is the end of the issue. And we have... This issue did a bunch of things all at once. First of all, it did have a great Aquaman moment. It ended very properly, but it had one. Um, 
it sets yep. it sets up Red Tornado in a new way, and it establishes a friendship between Red Tornado and Firestorm, which Jerry Conway would continue on in other comics that he wrote. So, I thought this was a really great conclusion to the story. I completely agree. Uh, I, I and there we go. Well, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I agree. It's got great action. Again, great art. Great overall story. But I don't need the. What is it? Again, three pages of continuity ridiculousness about Tornado Champion and how the Tornado Champion... I don't even understand this. He was so enamored with the Justice League, he went off to another planet and became the Justice League. I don't even understand what that means. And I'm sure if I read the, you know Justice League number 64 or whatever it was, I would. But I didn't. So, so if, you, if you can get, out, get rid of the continuity, this makes a great comment. You are just so against these flashbacks. They're just seeing a whole new side of you, Chag, and I don't like it. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the flashbacks, again, really helped. Uh, as a, a kid, you know, getting into this, that was the first time I saw Martian Manhunter right there in that flashback. And seeing the original Red Tornado that Morrow was pulling together, like, back here on page 23. By the way, page 23. How odd is that to hear in a comic book? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Seeing Red Tornado in, in red and purple, I mean, that was... 192 was my first Red Tornado experience. 193 with this gave me a whole lot of Justice League history as a young kid, an impressionable young kid who was just devouring this stuff now and just further hooked me as a, a comic reader. Yeah, me too. This, I mean, this is an era when you couldn't get these old issues. You know, there were no, com- there were, there, I mean, there were comic shops. I didn't know of any at this point. Um, and, you know, like it really, to me, gave the this whole story a sense of, of deep, deep history of all the stuff that transpired before I ever got around to it. And to me, it was fascinating. I liked all this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it, I do want to say one of the things I liked about the cover is not only the artwork, um, yes, yeah, so I just changed the subject completely. Anyway, um, it's not just the arc, but I love the framing, you know, because you get the All-Star Squadron shout-out on the cover, and there's something about having the white border around it and shrinking down the cover art that just, I don't know, sets it off a, a little more impressively even. And it's, it's kind of funny, if you look at that, you can tell the way Perez drew that, it was intended to be full screen. You can tell where the Justice League logo was actually just going to fill cover that yeah, black cloud. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's kind of neat to see, you know, in a different perspective. But I just, I've always loved the white borders on the Justice League books. It just makes them pop, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's a handsome cover. Yeah, yeah. This one is. But along those lines of the white borders, I love the ones with the the JSA all-star team-ups where you had the heads looking in on those (sighs) shots. JLA 207, one of the best covers ever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Or there, but. What's that? That's neither here nor there, but it's just, you know, same lines. We're talking JLA. Those are. Classic covers. Now check out um, check out page five. There are three shots of Batman, and he just looks like the friggin' Mac. He looks so <laughs> cool in these three panels. Like, you know, in one he's sort of bending over, studying uh, Kathy Sutton. The other is just kind of a cool shot from the back. But then there's this great one of just a side shot of his head. Most of yeah, it in shadows, and his nice. horns are like enormous. Yeah. Um, just really nice, nice shots of Batman. Now, why is Wonder Woman holding Treya? Shouldn't Treya... I mean, Treya's um, probably traumatized by the whole situation, but shouldn't she be with her mother? Well, I, you know, I think she's enjoying being held by another superhero. I think it's fun for her. Okay. 
I think it's one of those things like, you know, you meet with the realtor, the accountant, that type of thing, where the, you try and preoccupy the kids. Yeah, okay. Yeah, these, these are dad's co-workers. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's true. That's true. Like, okay. The, Perez is at the top of his game here, I would dare say, more so than some of his work ever since or before. And just looking at page seven. The detail he packs into those two panels where Flash zips out and comes back. No computers are involved. You know, I mean, this is this is pencil, paper, and ink. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I love the way that everybody's capes and, and, and Firestorm's flame and Wonder Woman's hair are blowing in the direction yeah. that the wind is going. It's yeah. really a great, great moment. Okay, from a story perspective, all right, we're gonna since we're on the Flash page with the with the Rubik's cube, Flash's a hole dressing down a firestorm. Okay, <laughs> it's clearly just a transference. He's frustrated about his friend Aquaman, and he's taken out on a firestorm. There's no doubt about that. That is clear as day. But like, I have a hard time where Flash gives Aquaman, I'm sorry, gives Firestorm a hard time about an offhanded comment he made, where in the same issue, it's almost like taking your job more seriously, in the same issues, he's playing freaking games with a Rubik's Cube. Like, it doesn't sit well with me. He's taking his mind off of it. No, because the, the Rubik's Cube thing happens first. And Aquaman, they don't know Aquaman's hurt yet. So it's just like Flash is showing off and being a show-off, and then when Firestorm makes an offhanded comment, Flash takes that opportunity to chew him off, but it's like, you know what, prick, three pages ago you were playing games. Get off my case. I don't know if Flash is showing off. No, he's not showing No, he's not showing off. He does a Rubik's Cube at high speed, throws it in the air, he's runs thinking. a central city. He's, but he's thinking. He's letting, he's letting it run around in his brain. The throw yeah. of the Rubik's Cube in the air and catching it is showing off. Shag, have uh, any of your kids' schools ever let the kids have fidgets while they're learning new topics and things? Fidgets? Yeah, or better yet, uh, stuff that you've done with your, your job. Have oh, you ever, I see. Yeah, yeah. Keep your like, hands busy. Yeah. Yeah, stress balls or something like that. Just something to kind of help alleviate some of the, the physical tension. Yeah, okay. It just, maybe I'm just pissed off that Flash got on, Aquaman, on Firestorm's case. Which he was yeah. right to, because Firestorm shot his stupid mouth off. Oh my god, what a crock of crap. Hey, this, was, this was written by Firestorm's creator. You talk to Jerry, don't, don't get in my face about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, i got to point out a Perezism uh, that I love. On, I guess still on page 7, um, There's a the middle pa- panel has Flash and Firestorm talking. Mm-hmm. You see next to Firestorm's eye, there's a little pointed thing on his cowl. Like yeah. a little piece that comes out of his cowl and points by his eyeball. Al Milgram added that to Firestorm costume when the costume was originally designed. George Perez continued it. That is about the extent of the only people that have ever <laughs> noticed that little tiny detail in Firestorm's costume. I call it the the the, the temples or the yeah you know, the, the temple points. I, and I love it. Perez to this day still draws them with the temple points. I love it. Perez is a borderline fanatic as far as details like that. I mean, if you talk to him about Green Lanterns, back back when I talked to him in uh, whatever it was, we'll call it 2002, um, he was talking about all the Green Lanterns all have the ring on the right hand, right hand, right hand, right hand, except for Alan Scott. Mm-hmm. I had never really noticed it, and this was before Rebirth, where he brought all the Lanterns back, but he was right. 
And at, the, at that point, he was also working on um, some character turnabouts for DC that never saw the light of day, I guess. Wow. And he was mm. going and doing things like that where he would be basically doing a, a brain dump of everything that he had detail-wise in his, in his mind from years and years of drawing these characters so that they could be used as reference for future artists. Wow, he was going to be the uh, the modern day equivalent of uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Praise be his name. Yep. Very cool. Uh, one, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of my favorite little bits in the comic actually is when right after they rescue Aquaman, um, which by the way I think it's kind of silly that Wonder Woman had to use her lasso to turn on the sprinkler. I mean, <laughs> sure it demonstrated her power, but like she couldn't have just reached for it, you know. But anyway, well, it's across um, the room. <laughs> Anyway, after Aquaman says his Tio Maro, they skip a whole adventure of going and looking for him. They just find him, mm-hmm. and they they're ready to kick his ass. And it, you know, I don't know whether that was, you know, Jerry was out of pages or was an intentional jump, but I love it. I love that jump. It just it makes the storytelling moves. It's such a great clip. It's just like, ooh, that's a nice non-transition. You know, if you will. Yeah, because you don't. It's right because you didn't need to see it. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like they found yep. him. Okay, that's the important point. They found him. Love it. Absolutely love it. One other thing I liked about this story, this both parts, is as far as I can recall, this is the most we've ever got to see of the satellite. We've seen the meeting room. We've seen the elevator. We've seen the med lab. We've seen this little other little room that they've got. It's like I, this. To me, this this issue really made the satellite feel like a real place because we see so many parts of it. I don't think there's any yep. other story where we see this much of the satellite. And I really love <laughs> that. I love that idea that it's got all these rooms that we never know about because all you ever saw was like the transporter room, you know, where yep. they're doing monitor duty. But here you're like, wow, they've got all this other kind of stuff. We've seen like the trophy room. But, I mean, this is the first, I think maybe the only time we ever see this little, it's not, again, the other room is the med lab. This is like some other little room they've got. Uh, I mean, they're calling it sick bay, but like they, they mentioned, it's called sick bay on sea deck. This thing has like multiple decks. We don't see any of this stuff. We always see like the same two, three rooms over 20 years worth of comics. But in this one story, we've seen more than we did to this point. I think it's great. And you get the little schematic map at the beginning of 192 almost. Well, most of the map. You right, the- Red Tornado's looking for where they are, yeah. See, I never thought about that, that, because I, I came about this differently. Like, I think I've told you before, like, my first Justice League comics I read on a regular basis were in the 230s, which was Justice League Detroit. Um, so, by when I first started reading comics like this, I already owned the Mayfair Games Justice League module, which had the floor plans for the satellite. Mm-hmm. So, I already knew them all. So never would have given a first thought as to when when we got to see these rooms for the first time. That's kind of cool. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's just between Perez's body language that he's giving all these characters in the satellite, again, it makes it seem like these are real people. These are co-workers that do this just bizarre job. Um, yep. I, I just love that detail to it. Now, I mean, I will admit the whole, like, Red Tornado's soul just happens to be that of a mini tornado. Yeah, a little much. Uh, but you know, there's a little drinking or something else going on there, I think. Yeah, but I mean, you just kind of go with it. You're like, okay, I like the idea that that Red Tornado, you know, is what he always wanted to be. He is a living creature. He's not just 
quote unquote, a bunch of circuits and stuff like that. So I love that. Like I said, I love the flashbacks. I loved seeing um, in the flashback, see Green Arrow in his old costume. I was only vaguely familiar with that at this point. So I love that. And then as Doug pointed out, you get to see the Martian Manhunter, which is really cool. And I said, I really love that the, the Red Tornado and Firestorm were, were, this was the beginning of like a friendship that they established. I don't think Jerry got to do too much with it. After this, uh, but yeah, not not really. I mean, they did they when when Red when the JLA guest appeared in Firestorm number four. Yeah, um, him and Reddy, him and Reddy worked together in that. Right, one, yeah. right, right. And I think that's about as far as it went. But still, it was a nice, it was a nice little bit. Um, I think it was a set. I think it's a really fine conclusion. And when you put the two issues together, I think they're really, really outstanding. And I can only imagine the, you know, like I said, of being somebody like Doug, who's this was like the first time you read any of these comics. This had to be. Yeah, really, pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it was fairly well mind blowing. Hey, you couldn't have got you couldn't come in on a better art team. No, no, there, there. I don't think there was a better art team in 1981. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, this team didn't last. I mean, Perez and Beatty did uh, number oh. 194 together, and they did 195. And well, then Perez and Beatty and, and Oda. I mean, we're. Was, I'm sorry, not Oda. Gafford. The, the colorist you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl yeah. Gafford, yeah. I mean, the the effects that he's using all the way through, you know, the, it, rather than just... Even today, you'll get people dropping in a plain colored background, but if you look at, like, pages 11 and 12, when Flash is uh, giving Firestorm the what for, and uh, even that panel of Firestorm and Stein looking off towards sickbay, you know, just the color effect that he's using to fill the space rather than have it be just a plain purple or blue or you know it, it's he's putting a lot into it at that at that point in 1981 yeah it's funny those pages appear to be torn out of my issue where flash is giving first a hard time uh i got two things that i don't get and maybe you guys can explain to me they're story points i brought one up already i don't get how the tornado became the Justice League on this other planet. I don't even understand what that means. Like, did that happen in a comic? Yeah, it did. It happened in an issue of Mystery, Mystery in Space, I believe. And that's how they explained the Justice League being in an issue or something? Yeah, well, yeah, they, they guest appeared in Adam Strange's feature in Mystery in Space, and that was one of the stories, was this Tornado Champion story. Okay. And then this other time, there's, a, there's an amazing shot where uh, the Tornado Tyrant just paced Superman 1 you know, with his wind powers and Superman goes flying. He hits a mountain, yeah. <laughs> top, blast part of it away. And the remaining part that the bump just crashes down on him. I mean, it's, I don't know if anyone else could have drawn it and conveyed what's happening there as well as he did. Perez, it, it's really great. Um, but That's right a as he does, Bugs bunny moment too. What's that? It's like a bugs bunny moment right there. Yeah, really. It's a, it's a wily e. coyote thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but as he's doing it, the tornado tyrant says, you know, Still, you're foolish to uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, basically, he says he – somehow the Tornado Tyrant is absorbing magic from Wonder Woman's lasso to blow Superman away? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really quite get that myself. <laughs> okay. I was like, is there more continuity I'm not understanding here? Yeah. So yeah, – now, mean, stepping back from it, I – Tyrant has always been a uh, nice device that was never really given – Proper boundaries. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, I do like, from a story perspective, that Red Tornado, as you said, had a soul. I like that it's 
a, a, a living tornado who has a good side and a bad side, and sometimes it splits apart. I think that's kind of cool. Um, and, you know, the reintegration's great. Again, it's just too much continuity that was unnecessary. That could have been shorthanded in two, three sentences. But the problem is Firestorm has the opportunity to say to Reddy, hey, look, this is what's going on inside you, and he doesn't. So Red Tornado continues that path of, ah, will I ever be human? Ah, this sucks. So Pinocchio, <laughs> boy without strings type of thing. Yeah, it took it took another five years for Kurt Busiek would get rid of all that and uh, sort of yeah. make him mellow again, which, of course, then DC completely undid that same month in the crisis, but... Yep, <laughs> that's, that's another whole story. Yeah, Did, Doug, was this? I mean, do you think this is the beginning of why you like this character so much? Is because oh, he was in the comic, you know, the first comic you ever bought. I, I think it easily explains why I like both Red Tornado and Firestorm. Because mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. was my first experience with Firestorm. This is my first experience with Red Tornado. And at the end of the issue, you know, they're practically going off for a root beer or something together there. <laughs> They're like uh, the two guys at the end of Pulp Fiction. They're going to have to have adventures together. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely the beginning of a bromance. No doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, it is. So what what would you say, Doug, is like the best Red Tornado story? This one. <laughs> okay. Second best. <laughs> With, without a doubt, it's this one. Um, the Busick miniseries is, is overlooked. It really is. It is. It's good. And it's... For when that came out, you know, again, I want to say what, that was 84, 85? 85. 85? Okay, so I to put it into perspective of where I was, I was maybe 13. And Infantino's art, after, you know, coming in on George Perez, Infantino's art is just, it's not what a 13-year-old boy is looking for. <laughs> it's definitely not, you know, Infantino in 85, it's fair yeah, to say. Infantino in 85. Infantino to a 13-year-old boy in 85, it's, it's just weird. Um, but it does hold up really well, even if the colors are way over the top. Ah, uh, the flexographic printing process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that's a great, great story. And for that to be one of Busick's first works, you know, and to, to look back and see what he put into it and, you know, the fact that he's still... I would think he's still proud of it, but he is. I talked. I talked to him from from my back issue article about Red Tornado, and he he is. And he wanted. He had a bunch of stories planned to continue on, but uh, DC blew up Red Tornado literally and figuratively uh, during that same time, and it never got to do anything else with it. But he he did have some stories that he just sort of mapped out in his head. Way to go, DC! Yeah, yeah. Red Tornado was um, wasn't he out of commission from there until Primal Force? Yeah, that's. What, 10 years? It wasn't that long. He he started making guest appearances not that long after the crisis, but they were few and far between. Like, he was in a Captain Adam or something like that. But Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he was in Firestorm. Duh. Yeah, Fire- okay. Elemental. <laughs> Captain Adam, same kind of extension as the Elemental. Yeah, but I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a little too over-convenient to have him be the angry guy, you know? Well, they, had, you know, it was it was him and Nyad were the angry ones. That's right. And Swamp Thing and Firestorm had to kind of rein them in. <laughs> okay, sorry, uh, Matchheads, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, but then Red Tornado's appearance in Primal Force was just—I um, don't know—it was weird. I kept waiting for it to be Red Tornado, and it just kept not being Red Tornado. Yeah, that's true. And then, uh, then we got him in Young Justice for a number of years. Yep, which was nice. 
which thankfully uh, led to him being on the Young Justice show. I thought yep. that was well done, except for them tying in the whole red volcano and all that. Yeah, okay, let's talk about that. Let's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, let's not. Really, <laughs> let's not. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, right, we don't, now there are no, there are no, there are no uh, match heads or anything on the letters page. But Shag, you wanted to specifically mention something from it. Well, it's just it, like I, I love reading these old comics in the letters pages and stuff because they're such a snapshot in time, you know. And I'm not, it's, I'm not going to focus on the letters, but I do want to focus on the other issues that are on sale at this point. Okay. Like, what a month! What a month for DC Comics. You know, you got this great JLA issue we just talked about. You get Flash 300, which was a big friggin' deal. Yep. You know, and, and actually, from a match head perspective, this is, Flash 300 is actually a little frustrating because Fi- Firestorm had a, a, a series of backups in Flash at this point that started around 289, I think, and went to 304. 300 is the only one that Firestorm didn't appear in. But, uh, so it's a little bit of a, like, sticking point, but still, you know, big celebratory issue. You get a Wonder Woman issue written by Jerry Conway, you know, same writer. You get a great, you know, you get Huntress, part of the Huntress backups by Levitz and Staten. That's great stuff. Mm-hmm. You get your new Teen Titans featuring Deathstroke. Again, Wolfman and Perez. You know it's good stuff there. You get uh, Unknown Soldier by Bob Haney and Dick Ayers. And in the backup in there is the Captain Fear story we talked about in ah, Who's Who by Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson. Yeah. Uh, you get, you know, under World's Finest, you get another Conway story with Rick Buckner. You get uh, the Green Arrow where he fights um, Count Vertigo by Trevor Von Eden, which we also talked about when we did Who's Who. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a Red Tornado backup in here, too. That's yeah. right. It's when he had his own solo feature in World's Finest. That's right. Yep. So just what a neat little snapshot of all these great books that were on the shelves, those, you know, basically the same weeks that this was out. This is, wow. Cool stuff. Yeah. World's finest like that would be something else, wouldn't it? Just to go back in time and pick that up. Oh yeah, I used to love that Absolutely. book. That was a great, great book. Well, back when it was, a, I mean, I'm a sucker for anthologies, but that was there was a lot of fun stuff in that book. Um, Aquaman had a run in it for about about a day and a half, but <laughs> JSA, JSA had a run in it for a little while too. No, that was Adventure Comics. Um, I thought they wrapped up a couple of the issues in World's Finest. I don't think so. Mm, we'll have to check later. All right. Anyway. Okay. Uh, anyway, so we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, we do want to thank Doug for coming on. Doug, what? Uh, go. Here's your chance to plug. Go. Go plug something you want people to pay attention to. Really? Means <laughs> <laughs> I have to update it, doesn't it? <laughs> I plugged. I, I plugged your Hawkman Companion book on a couple of shows a little while uh, back. There is the Hawkman Companion. Uh, there is uh, the reviews that I do for Comic Book Resources. Now, where can people find them? Like, what's, is there a, do you have, like, your own column? How does that work? Uh, if you go to comicbookresources.com, the reviews are over towards the, the right. And any given week, I'm doing no less than five reviews. So, and we try to get uh, the, the hype books done Wednesdays and Thursdays, and then, you know, other things as they happen. Um, I was able to, to squeak in a review to a comic called um, Kronos Commandos. And it's got uh, soldiers going back in time to fight Nazis. What a stupid up, idea for a comic book. <laughs> they wind up <laughs> crossing dinosaurs. Um, but uh, comic book resources where I do the, the bulk of my writing, which unfortunately has then caused me to neglect my greatest adventure, 80.blogspot.com, which is my Doom Patrol blog. 
Which, Love it. you know, given the fact that Doom Patrol's not really doing anything right now. And then uh, someday I'll come back to Althoon, U-L-T-H-O-O-N.blogspot.com, which is my Red Tornado's Path blog. You, you gentlemen have been very kind to guide me on both of those, and actually the Doom Patrol header is something that you had created, Rob. Uh, yes, that's right. It is, and it's uh, quite nice if I do say so myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Modest, aren't you? That's right. So, um, uh, it turns for us, if you want to send the show an email, it's firewaterpodcast uh, at comcast.net. You can, you can follow our Tumblr, which is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find Chag at Firestorm Fan on Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and Friendster. And the new MySpace. And, and RedTube. And, and re- <laughs> you know, this show does not need two mentions of RedTube in its history. We just don't need that. <laughs> One is more than enough. Uh, you can find Aquaman Trine at AquamanTrine.com, also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, just as a little personal note, we want to get this in. Thank you, all of you who pledged to Ace Kilroy since uh, the last episode. We met our goal since the last time we recorded an episode, and we are we are thank you. Yes, and when we are currently sailing past it, so thank you all of you very much for that. I really greatly appreciate it. Um, it'll by the time most of you hear this, it'll still be running. It'll be down to like our last twenty four hours. So if you want to sneak in a last minute pledge, please go right ahead and go to acekilroy.com and. And they'll take you over to the Kickstarter page. But uh, we're, we're doing pretty well. I'm very, very happy. Um, we said, I want to thank we, we want to thank Doug for coming on the show. We really appreciate it to, to come on and talk about these very fun issues. Thanks for having me, guys. You're always welcome back here, sir. Well, thanks. All right. We'll talk about something else that Chag only partially likes. That'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we, we couldn't find anything like that in the current roster of DC books, could we? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> um, anyway, and on that down note, we're going to exit the show. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Fan the Flame or Ride the Wave, and we'll see you guys later on. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. You know, this he's a sort of immortal android. Whenever he seems to get destroyed, he always ends up coming back. And, you know, it's a robot that eventually develops feelings and ends up getting married and keeping having a kid somehow. I don't really understand how that works.